Good morning. It's great to worship with you today, whether you're here at our 410 campus or worshiping with us online. We pray you're doing well, and we thank God for each and every one of you. For these last several weeks, we have been looking at conversations with Jesus. And these conversations with Christ have been more than just random run-ins with people, but divine encounters as Jesus is using these conversations to draw people to himself. And these conversations have been putting on full display Christ's power over the physical and the spiritual. In our first encounter today, Jesus gets into a conversation with a woman who wouldn't seem to stop talking. And in the second conversation, we see a man who didn't have much to say at all. So let's look at our first encounter, starting in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet, He could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed the demon having left. This encounter begins with Jesus going into Gentile territory, and he didn't want anyone to know of his whereabouts, which was becoming more and more difficult as word is spreading about him and his supernatural power. Jesus had been ministering long hours to overwhelming crowds, and he was exhausted. He was fully God, but he was also fully man, and he was worn out. So he withdraws about 35 miles northwest of Galilee to the Phoenician coast for what he had hoped to be a time of rest. But rest wasn't possible because the people there hear that Jesus has arrived, including this Gentile woman who has heard of this man with the power to heal. She has a daughter gripped by a demonic spirit and hold upon her life. This Gentile woman would have known that she did not possess any of the moral or religious credentials necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi like Jesus. But the woman doesn't care about any of that. She boldly approaches Christ and falls at his feet, begging him for help. 
The Greek word here for beg speaks to a continuous action, an ongoing plea. She keeps on begging. She won't stop asking. In the parallel account of this passage in Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, the disciples become so fed up with the persistence of this woman that they implore Jesus saying, send her away because she keeps on shouting behind us. Her persistence and her boldness came from the heart of a mother. A mother who is crying out on behalf of her hurting child. Any parent or grandparent listening can relate to this. When it comes to the health and the well-being of our children or our grandchildren, we are willing to go to just about any lengths in order to care for them and provide for them. One of our kids was born with hemophilia, a lifelong blood clotting disorder that we have had to manage these last 16 years. And there have been tough nights in, in hospital beds, struggling with heartache and uncertainties. And many of you know what this is like. When our kids are hurting, physically or emotionally, it hurts us worse. And we would gladly take their hurt and their suffering if we could. We would do whatever it takes to help them. And that's the heart of this mother as she relentlessly pursues Jesus. And we can take a few principles on how we too should approach and pursue the Lord in prayer. Number one, our prayers should be directed and personal. In Matthew's account, the woman cries out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. When we approach the Lord in prayer, we don't pray to some nebulous higher power, but to our personal triune God, our God in three persons. We pray directly to God the Father in the name of God the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of God the Spirit. We can seek Him directly by name. Number two, our prayers should be definite and specific. This woman had a very specific need. Her daughter was demon-possessed, and she needed Christ to deliver her little girl. We can be very specific when we come to God. He wants to hear our deepest needs, our most desperate cries. A lady once came up to the great preacher G. Campbell Morgan and said, Pastor, I only take to God the big things. I don't want to bother him with all the little things. And Pastor Morgan said, Ma'am, anything you bring to God is little compared to the majesty of his greatness. So let's take all things, large or small, to God in prayer. And then number three, our prayers should be determined and persistent. Christ's initial silence toward this woman doesn't silence her. She doesn't let up. She won't take no for an answer. When we pray, it may seem at times that heaven is shut and God is silence. But silence doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. Although this woman was not initially answered, she was heard. 
by Christ. Even when our eyes may not see an answer to our prayers this side of heaven, we must keep on praying because we serve a God who hears us. And how does Jesus eventually respond to this woman? His response is in the form of a parable. As he says, first, let the children eat all they want, for it is not proper to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. At first glance, this seems rather harsh. It seems like a burn from Jesus to refer to this woman as a dog. But in Christ's day, Jews often referred to all Gentiles as Gentile dogs because Gentiles were considered ceremonially unclean. But the word here used for dogs in this context was not intended to insult this woman. Jesus is using this term in the context of a parable. And he uses the diminutive word for dogs, literally small dogs or household pets. And he's saying, you know as a mother, when you're at the dinner table, first the children eat and then afterwards their house pets can eat as well. But it's not right to feed the pups first before the children eat. In Matthew's account, Jesus explains why even further when he says in Matthew 15, 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus wasn't being offensive here but rather revealing that he was sent first to Israel. Later, after the resurrection, Jesus tells the disciples in the Great Commission, now go into all the nations. He's not giving the woman the Heisman here and pushing her away. No, he says, I've come to reveal myself as Messiah, first to Israel, and then to Gentiles like you later. Galatians 3 reminds us that now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. But this woman, who is not only bold and persistent and courageous, but she's also quick on her feet, and she comes back with this amazing reply. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It was a drop-the-mic response. In other words, yes, Lord, that's true, but even the pups can eat from this table too. Just give my daughter a small crumb of your supernatural healing power. I understand that I'm not from Israel, but as a Gentile pup, I'm glad to accept from the overflow of your abundance. I don't have a seat at the table, and I accept that, but I'm also confident that there's more than enough to go around at the table for someone like me. She doesn't take offense. She's respectful, but assertive. She humbly accepts her position as an outsider. She wants Jesus to throw her a bone on behalf of her daughter, but at the very least, a little scrap on the table, under the table, would be enough. She doesn't say, Lord, give me what I deserve based on my right and my merit. No, she approaches Christ in great humility and faith and says, Lord, help me. Give me what I don't deserve based on the sufficiency and surplus of your love. That's grace. Martin Luther 
was so moved by this encounter because of the gospel found within. And it's because of the gospel that we can approach Jesus based on the greatness of who he is and our smallness in light of him. We were unworthy to stand in God's presence because of our sin. He is holy and we are not. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only through the death of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross in our place for our sins that we are then made worthy to stand in his presence. And this is a free gift that we don't deserve and we can't earn. And that's grace. Hebrews 4 tells us that we can approach Jesus and draw near to him and his throne of grace with great confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Like this Gentile woman, we can approach Jesus not based on our moral resume, but because of a confidence in who he is and because of the superabundance of his love and his grace that overflows to us. Jesus responds to this woman with, for such an answer, because of your incredible answer, in Matthew 15, Jesus says, Woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. The woman's reply not only showed her wit, but more importantly, the depth of her faith. And then from a distance, with just a vocal command, Jesus heals her little girl. We see in the Gospels that the disciples were a little slow at times when it came to grasping Christ's mission. But here in Mark 7, this Gentile woman got it. She is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to hear and understand a parable from Jesus. And then she brilliantly answers Jesus from within the parable by expressing, I'm more unworthy than I ever believed, but at the same time, I'm more loved than I ever dared to hope. D.L. Moody said that Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. This woman wasn't too proud to accept Christ's statement about her, but yet she also wasn't too self-absorbed to think you could never help or love someone like me. She had an appropriate sense of humility when approaching Jesus. As C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. John Newton, the minister who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, wrote this to a struggling member in his church. You say it is hard to understand how a holy God could accept such an awful person as yourself. By doing so, you express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of our Redeemer, which is wrong. We must approach Christ in humility, And never stop praying. Never stop pursuing him. Even though answers from God may seem delayed from our perspective, God always hears and he answers. Not according to our will, but according 
to his perfect will. And when Christ does answer, and when he does move and work in our lives, what should our response be? Our second conversation speaks to this in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In this second conversation, which at first is rather one-sided, Christ displays his power over the physical as he heals a man who couldn't hear and was unable to speak clearly. There was a physical hold upon his ears and his tongue. Some folks come to Jesus and say, heal our friend in our specified way by laying hands on him. But Jesus doesn't tie himself to their wishes or any one method of healing. Instead, Jesus leads him away from the crowd, puts his fingers into the man's ears, and then Jesus takes his own saliva and puts it on the man's tongue. The CDC would have gone crazy if this had happened today. But it is supernatural saliva, so I guess the guy should be, should be okay. Uh, unlike the previous encounter with the very verbal mother, Jesus steps into the nonverbal, silent world of this man to identify with him. He first identifies with him emotionally by taking him from the crowd. Let's go over here so as to not make more of a spectacle. He then identifies with him physically through nonverbal communication by touching the places that had been a challenge for this man for most of his life. Your ears, your tongue. I got you. Don't worry. I'm going to do something about that as we look to the Father. There was nothing socially distant about our Savior. When he encountered people, he heard their need. He felt their pain. He touched them and healed them, and he met them right where they were at. This man had a speech impediment. He could speak, but with great difficulty. A single Greek word is used here to describe the man's impediment. And this is the only usage of this word in the New Testament. In the New Testament. We do find it in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah is speaking of the coming Messiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 
And Isaiah says in verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then verse 6, where we see this same word from Mark 7. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. When God works and when God moves in our life, this should be our response, one of worship, one of praise and joy. Back in Mark 7, Jesus then sighs and looks to heaven where the power comes from, from his heavenly Father. And then he says in Aramaic, Ephatha, be opened. It only takes a word. With a word, God spoke the world into creation. And now Jesus, God in the flesh, has been given the power to invoke the divine imperative himself. With the command of his voice, Jesus could say to the storm, still. He could cry out at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, come forth. And here he gives command to the ears, open. He orders the tongue, be loosed. And the man's hearing is completely restored. And he begins to speak clearly. The original Greek says the chain of his tongue was broken. And what's the first thing this man says? We have no idea. The text doesn't tell us. Perhaps words of praise, words of thanks. It makes me think of Luke chapter 17 when Jesus heals the ten lepers and nine of them go about their way, but only one turns back and glorifies God as he falls on his face at the feet of Jesus and gives thanks to him. Is that your response? When you experience God's grace, his forgiveness, his healing, is your first response one of thanksgiving and worship? Ironically, here in Mark chapter 7, after Jesus gives the man the power to speak, Jesus tells them all to be quiet. He didn't want the publicity to impede his mission. I know I just gave you speech, but don't talk about any of this. But the more Jesus said, let's keep this under wraps, the more widely the crowd spreads word about him. I had a speech impediment in grade school. And for grades third through fifth, I was removed from the classroom once a week for speech class. If you picture a mix between Sylvester the Cat and, and Elmer Fudd, that was me. But I had the most amazing speech teacher, Mrs. Flores. She was extraordinary. And many years later, I went off to college and decided to major in, in journalism and, and communication. And I remember going home on Christmas break one year. And I went up to my elementary school. I hadn't been there since I was a kid. And I didn't know if any of the same teachers would, would still be there. And I walked into the library of Harmony Hills Elementary School. And I asked the librarian, does Mrs. Flores perhaps still teach here? 
And the woman said, yes, she does. And she's coming into the library any moment now to meet with some students. And sure enough, in walks Mrs. Flores. And she smiles with a look of recognition. And I smile back and I reintroduce myself. And we hug. You know, back in the good old days when you could, you could still hug people. Uh, and I said, Mrs. Flores, it is so good to see you. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I wanted to come by and just say thank you. Thank you for the way that you took me aside those three years and worked with me and helped me to overcome my speech impediment. And I wanted to let you know that I decided to major in communication in college, and a big part of that decision can be traced back to you and the confidence that you helped to instill in me. So thank you for your investment and your impact in my life. I hugged her, and then I left. If someone has helped you or impacted your life in a meaningful way, a teacher, a parent, a pastor, a doctor, a nurse, a friend, or in the case of Christ, bless you beyond what you could ever earn or deserve or repay. Give thanks. Shout for joy. Show gratitude. Jesus identified with this man by stepping into his silent world. God stepped into our world by becoming like us, minus sin. And on that cross, Jesus identified with you and me completely. Jesus, the bread of life, was cast off and thrown away so that those of us who did not have a place at the table could be adopted and brought in to his family. Isaiah 53, 7 tells us that Messiah was like a lamb being led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth, and he died. And his death broke the chain and freed us from bondage to sin and death. And then he rose from the grave so that we might become his sons and daughters at the table with him if we trust in him alone for eternal life. At times we may approach Jesus from a a place of desperation, like the woman in our first conversation who kept crying out in Matthew 15, 25, Lord, help me. At other times, we approach the Lord like the man in the second conversation with few words, perhaps just silent tears as we seek God to just show up and minister to us in our time of need. But it's because God came near in Jesus and identified with us that we can then approach him in humble confidence personally, specifically, and persistently, not because of moral credentials, but because of his grace and a faith in the certainty of the person, work, and promises of Christ. In closing, imagine if a friend came to you and said, I was at your house the other day, And a bill showed up for you, and you weren't home, so I went ahead and paid that bill for you. What would be your response? 
if we're honest, depends upon the size of the bill. If it's just a piece of mail that said insufficient postage and our friend paid the extra 25 cents or so, you know, we, we might give them a little, little fist bump for that. But what if the friend decided to cover our monthly mortgage payment? Or what if the friend paid off a year's worth of our rent? We would want to hug that person in thanks. But what if it was the IRS who was after us? Because we owed 10 years in back taxes. And our friend said, don't worry. I covered that. I got you. I went ahead and paid that debt for you. We might weep in overwhelming gratitude because of the magnitude of what had just been paid. Do you truly realize the great debt that Christ paid on our behalf? Consider his immense sacrifice. Consider the incredible price that he paid when he died on the cross for your sins. We deserve death, but by the shedding of his blood, he said, don't worry. I covered you. I got you. Paid in full. And then our response as we approach Jesus in faith should be one of overwhelming gratitude, humility, and joy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can humbly approach you directly and personally with specific needs, persistent prayers, even desperate cries, knowing that you hear us and you answer us, not according to our plans, but according to your perfect will. And would we take this time to truly consider the debt that you paid for us, the price that you paid. You paid it all, Lord Jesus, by dying in our place for our sins. And it's when we realize that debt that you covered that we can truly fall at your feet in worship. You broke the chain of sin and death that bound us. And we have now been set free to abundant and eternal life if we simply place our faith in you alone, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray now that if there is any here, either in this room or listening online, and they know that they have yet to make this most important decision in life, to simply say to you, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I trust in you alone, Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. Would they do so today? Would they come to you in faith? Would you draw them to yourself today, Lord? And Father, I do want to pray for Kim Pupart, Lord, who broke her arm a week ago. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and strength to her. Minister your comforting presence and peace to her at this time. And be with Pastor Roger as well and the family as they care for Kim. And Lord, 
We thank you for this time in worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit fill you and bless you. Have a great week of worship. And to those here, thank you again for worshiping with us. The ushers will now dismiss you by row. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.